This episode of Beyond the Jargon was produced on Treaty 7 territory, home to members of the Blackfoot Confederacy, which includes the Bikani, Siksika, Kana, Stony Nakoda, and the Sutina First Nations. Treaty 7 is also home to the Métis Nation of Alberta Region Number 3. This episode was produced for CFUV Radio, a station that is situated on the traditional territories of Lekwungen and Wasanich peoples, whose historical relationships with the land continues to this day. Have you ever wondered if our advancements in technology would ever make the worlds that are seen in those hyper-futuristic sci-fi movies become ever more likely to happen? Surveillance capitalism is an economic system centered around the commodification of personal data with the core purpose of profit-making. In a world where commodification, humanity, and technology have become increasingly intertwined, we ask ourselves the questions. How is AI reshaping our techno-social relationships? And how can AI potentially be used as a tool for capitalist exploitation? I'm your host, Funaro Obasoye, and today I'm sitting down with Talia Jesperson, a master's student here at the University of Victoria, and we'll be exploring topics in AI and surveillance capitalism. Welcome to Beyond the Jargon, a podcast that aims to explore the work of graduate students at the University of Victoria in a more demystified way. I'm your host, Funaro Vasoye, and today I'm joined with sociology master's student, Talia Jesperson. Well, AI is definitely convenient and efficient, uh, so that's a major benefit. These technologies come out of social, political, and economic contexts, and I really don't think that a utopia is where AI is heading unless we can make some major structural changes to these contexts that shape technological innovation. Hello, Talia, and welcome to the show. Hi, uh, it's good to be here, Foon. Um, I was wondering, would you be able to introduce yourself? Who are you and what do you study? Uh, well, I am Talia. My pronouns are she, her, and I am a settler on the traditional territory of the Lekwungen peoples. It is on this traditional territory of the Lekwungen peoples that I live, work, and play, and where nearly all of this project that I'm about to talk about is taking place. Uh, I also acknowledge and respect the Songhees, Esquimalt, and Wasanic peoples who maintain historical relationships with this land. And um, I'm a master's student in sociology and CSPT. And uh, for my MA thesis, I'm doing an exploratory research project on human AI relationships and how new forms of capitalism and corporate power may be entwined with human AI interactions. Wow, I love that response. Thank you so much for that. Um, I guess you answered the first part of my next question, which was, tell me more about your research. <laughs> but if you'd like to expand on that, you're more than welcome. Um, and also, if you could speak on how you got into the type of research you're doing, that would be great. Yeah, of course. 
Um, well, I think it all started when I was working in digital marketing a few years back. Uh, I was using Google AdWords and Facebook to promote content for some independent local businesses. And as I became more familiar with these advertising platforms, I realized just how invasive they are and how much I despise trying to influence people's clicks and purchases, even if they were for what I considered to be good local businesses. So that's when I started to seek out more information about technology and society studies. And it eventually, I learned about surveillance capitalism and became interested in AI and its implications for social life. Um, so for my research project, I'm actually looking at how people engage with and experience AI technologies. Um, I'll be conducting interviews with participants to generate an understanding of the human AI relationship between users and AI conversation agents, Siri, Alexa, and Google Assistant. Um, I'm also focusing heavily on the influence and impact of surveillance capitalism on digital behavior and the social and ethical considerations of AI. That's a really comprehensive research study. And it's really interesting how it kind of intersects with all of our lives. Well, a lot of our lives, because we all are so intertwined with technology nowadays. And so then to the lays person, what is AI and what is surveillance capitalism or AI capitalism? Yeah. Um, well, I think the term AI really does promote a kind of sci-fi computers taking over the world kind of picture. But that idea is more related to what's known as artificial general intelligence or AGI, where a computer system possesses a more human-like way of learning and understanding. But AI as we know it today in its narrow forms is much less dramatic. Um, so at their core, AI technologies are made up of continuously executed code. AI uses and rewrites this code as it interprets the world through the data and algorithms that it receives, and then it uses this data to do calculations, make decisions, direct operations, and make predictions. So surveillance capitalism and AI capitalism rely heavily on AI technologies to automate labor and streamline processes of capital accumulation. The commodity in these evolutions of capitalism is mostly data, and especially for surveillance capitalism, it's behavioral data. Surveillance capitalism is concerned with how our digital activities generate behavioral data, which is then categorized and processed by an AI system and used to generate predictions for future behavior. These predictions are sold to buyers, usually seeking to advertise their products and generate traffic to their sites. And this is how big tech companies like Google and Facebook generate a lot of their profits. Wow. So yeah, very intertwined with our lives. And I can see how that relates to sociology. But I guess we'll get more into that later. Uh, so, yeah, I wanted to follow up with asking you what drove you to start thinking about these types of identification technologies within your sociology research. Yeah, uh, well, these abrupt adoptions of AI into daily life have come with pretty incredible widespread effects. Information truly is more accessible than ever, but our new technologically mediated life has come with a lot of consequences that threaten individual autonomy, mental health, social cohesion, and reproduce social inequalities, exasperate political polarization, and contribute to even more environmental destruction. So with everything happening so fast and so invisibly, it's tempting to make the claim that technology is changing our world or that it's to blame for the problems we face. But it's important to remember that any technological innovation does not happen in a vacuum. Its development is shaped by social, political, and economic conditions. So I think that a sociological approach is helpful to grasp the entwinement of neoliberal capitalism and technological innovation and provide insights about how to tackle these issues. 
In what ways do these technologies permeate in our society? I believe you've already kind of covered some of that, but if you wanted to expand on what AI technologies look like in our lives today, you can do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, they really are everywhere. Um, Most people probably encounter AI in narrow forms um, multiple times a day without even realizing it um, because it works behind the scenes, compiling search results, organizing news feeds, delivering advertisements. um, And even when you use Google Maps, you're interacting with AI in some way. So they reach invisibly into many aspects of our digital and non-digital lives non-digital life, they are even used to automate applications for loans and employment and housing. Really anywhere where data is involved, you could probably find AI close by. What approaches have you taken towards conducting your research? Uh, Well, I'm doing a qualitative study that combines a mix of critical theory and semi-structured interviewing. Okay. What have you decided to interview people in regards to their experiences with these technologies? Well, my hope is that the interviews will provide insights into the unique forms of relationships that people have with AI entities, um, such as confidence, assistance, or otherwise, and how these relationships are situated in the realm of surveillance capitalism. There hasn't really been much work that investigates the perceptions and experiences that people have with AI systems, and I think that there's a lot to be uncovered. Mm -hmm. Especially because they're so prevalent in our households, like the search, not search engines, but the technologies you mentioned, like Siri and Alexa. Yeah, maybe you might not think about it, but those are technologies that are gathering data about your lives. Yeah, for sure. They're, they're more commonplace than I think we even realize. And yeah, they, I'm sure that it has <laughs> some pretty widespread effects. So we'll see. <laughs> Absolutely. Like even with your banks example, I was like, whoa, I didn't realize. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of wild. Mm -hmm. And so then how can qualitative approaches like these be useful in disseminating information that you may otherwise not have gotten using a more quantitative approach? Oh, good question. Um, A qualitative approach is more focused on the experience of individuals. So it gives us a chance to get into the world of the participants uh, with much more context than quantitative research can usually offer. So I'm interested in the dynamics, feelings, and relationships that emerge out of human-AI interactions. And I think a qualitative approach is the best way to get at that. What have been your research questions thus far? And what have you found in regards to them? Yeah, uh, well... I'm curious about how uh, surveillance capitalism and corporate interests are embedded in the interactions that people have with AI entities. And I'm really interested in how people actually uh, interact with them and what kind of relationships are formed. Um, So the interview portion of my research uh, hasn't really started yet. Uh, So most of what I found has been related to the theoretical work. Um, Based on what I've learned about the influence of big tech and the reach into human life, I suspect that surveillance capitalism is deeply embedded in human AI interactions, but I'm not really sure what that looks like yet. Hmm. And so in your research themes, you outline a few terms. Would you be able to go into detail on some of the terms that we've not talked about yet? The first one was voice without body. Would you be able to talk a bit more about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I talk a little bit about voice without body or acousmatic voice. Um, This is a concept that is talked about a lot in film studies. 
Conversation agents like Siri, Alexa, and Google Assistant are voices that have no body from which they speak. And in film studies, this can create an unnerving effect, uh, creating a sense that, that the voice is omnipresent. In some cases, like with HAL 9000 and Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, that's entirely the intention. Um, so in the context of surveillance capitalism, I think that AI that has voice without body is an important aspect to consider for how it shapes our interactions with them. And so I was wondering, is there a difference between AI and surveillance capitalism, or are they kind of synonymous? Uh, they're very related. Uh, AI capitalism is more concerned with how AI is used to generate capital and automate um, the generation of capital. Surveillance capitalism has more of a focus on uh, behavioral data and the capture of behavioral surplus. Um, so that is all generated from actually surveilling what people do both in online and offline environments and um, using that data to kind of predict future behavior. Mm -hmm. I guess you can see how they interact with one another and can be used for a common goal to commodify human behavior and those types of predictions. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, they really are quite similar. And there's lots of other um, kind of offshoot terms that are very commonplace. Um, the term surveillance capitalism comes from the work of Shoshana Zuboff. And I think it's one of the more popular terms these days, uh, because it really gets at the, you know, the crisis that we're facing with human relationships and technology. And, you know, we have some really um, troubling things with addiction and loneliness. And I think that really addresses that urgency that we're, we're feeling right now. I love that answer. So for some, AI underscores the long foretold promise of a workless future, if you can imagine the Jetsons and all of those futuristic movies. And for others, it creates fear or natural power differentials between humans and technology. Would you be able to speak on what you think some of the benefits of these technologies are and what are some of the dangers or consequences of them? Well, AI is definitely convenient and efficient, uh, so that's a major benefit. Its applications extend from improving automotive safety to autocorrect, and it can even be used to diagnose health issues. Um, so I think AI does have a lot of benefits and could have the potential to lead to a workless society. But uh, as I mentioned before, these technologies come out of social, political, and economic contexts, and I really don't think that a utopia is where AI is heading unless we can make some major structural changes to these contexts that shape technological innovation. And I think the consequences also extend quite far. Um, major consequences are how AI actually automates systems of inequality by the categorization of identity, uh, funneling wealth to the already mo most unbearably wealthy individuals. And I share the concerns of Shoshana Zuboff that AI, as part of surveillance capitalism, poses a threat to our ability to act independently from the suggestions we are fed. It minimizes our capacity to be surprising. And on top of that, AI is still very environmentally destructive with the mining of rare earth materials, the massive amounts of energy required, and the disruption of ecosystems. This all has a devastating environmental impact, and it's so often overlooked because so much of AI's processes are invisible. Wow. There's so much to uncover there. Um, I almost feel like that answer speaks for itself, but I'll ask the next question anyway. Has the word surveillance gotten a bad rep or are there certain things that we should know or consider regarding it? 
Well, I think the word surveillance implies that the intimacies of everyday life are being observed without consent or knowledge. And honestly, I don't think there is much to redeem for its reputation there. Inclusive Nutrition is an Indigenous-owned and operated wellness company that works with clients to develop an individualized, practical, and workable plan so you can reach your goals easily and affordably. For over 20 years, Inclusive Nutrition has been helping people heal, offering spiritual healing and holistic nutrition services. All services are offered on a sliding scale. For more information or to book an appointment, www.inclusivenutrition.ca or email julie at inclusivenutrition.ca. And with that, I'd love to talk about the sociology behind your work. So you mentioned that there are so many repercussions, maybe like societal repercussions and like, I don't know if AI or these types of surveillance techniques would have anything to do with accentuating wealth disparities or keeping people of lower classes per se in those classes or people of higher classes bolstering that effect. So... What relevance do these topics on AI and surveillance technologies have in sociology? Yeah, I think that it's very relevant because, as you mentioned, it has a lot to do with shaping the distribution of power and how people are organized in social life. Class differences, uh, discrimination becomes exasperated by AI technologies in a lot of cases. And I think that AI and surveillance play a very large part in, in shaping social life. And since sociology is a very well equipped to analyze distributions of power and capitalism, which, as we've talked about, are rapidly changing with new AI developments, it can be an especially beneficial approach for getting at these kinds of technological issues and and really um, understanding the broad effects that it's having on and on people overall. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And so, in specific or like in general, what have you found in regards to the human AI relationship? Well, I'm still on the cusp of that, but a lot of research has been done on chatbots and uh, that kind of thing and how people can form both positive and negative relationships with them, um, sometimes even generating a, like a form of therapy and uh, having a bit of a friendship with them. So I think that the human AI relationship with popular conversation agents might look a bit different, though, um, and I'm hoping to find out what that what that looks like. <laughs> When you say popular conversation agents, what do you mean? Oh, yeah. So when I say conversation agents, um, I'm referring to Google Assistant, Siri, and Alexa. Um, But I guess chatbots could also be kind of uh, in that realm. My research is specifically focusing on voice assistants, though. So that's kind of where that comes in. And I think that will have a bit of a different effect, too, because they're connected to these very powerful corporate entities, whereas the the previous research that has been done with the, the early days of Eliza, for example, which was used as a chatbot for therapy, I think the motivations are, are quite different and that will the change what the human AI relationship looks like. That's a really good point to make. I think motivation and intent behind these technology really, like like you said, changes our relationship to them and with them. And so when we're talking about creating a workless future or, you know, having this utopia shaped by these technologies, I think it really depends on the intention behind them. Yeah, absolutely. That has a lot to do, like, 
they might be advertised in a way as being really beneficial for us because they're convenient or, you know, they have all of these great benefits. But if there's something working behind the scenes, how can we really trust it to be working for us if it's, you know, if, if we're the ones that are the the hot commodity at the end of the day? So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why the word surveillance gets a bad rep. Like, as you said, it kind of seems almost a little sneaky. Um, these things are in shiny boxes and they're marketed to us as if they're like this thing that's going to help and change our lives. But we're also we are also that hot commodity that we're getting surveilled. So I know that you haven't really began this phase of your research, but do you have any predictions or any other ideas of what people might use search technologies like Siri, Alexa, or Google Assistant to be for? Yeah, I think a lot of the motivation um, stems from convenience. Um, you know, they're they're marketed to be kind of integrated into your life to make your life easier in all of these ways, hands free. Um, you know, you don't even have to think about your calendar. Alexa's going to order your groceries. Siri's going to change the temperature in your home, so don't worry about a thing. And aside from that, I think there's also this novelty that comes from it. Like it's cool and exciting. You know technology like this is is pretty fantastic like we've never seen anything like it before but I, you know all of this enticement is you know it comes with with consequences as we've mentioned and i don't think we don't quite understand the full extent of those consequences yet okay that um is very ominous and kind of leads into my next question <laughs> Which is surveillance capitalism can be seen in predictive searches or in recommended ads while you're browsing websites. How then, if at all, does it have the potential to control human nature? Mm, good question. Um, I don't know. I'm not really sure if it's so much about controlling human nature, but I think it can have very strong impacts on human behavior. So, for example, surveillance capitalism sometimes employs something known as effective computing, or I should repeat myself, affective computing, just to be clear, that's with an A, uh, which is designed to influence people's affective states and emotions by changing the display of content, leading people to behave in different ways. Um, this can and already has had serious consequences for political polarization and the rise of harmful conspiracy theories. Yeah, that... I don't know if you're familiar, but there was um, a Netflix show or documentary that came out and um, it was about like these polarizations caused by technologies and internet searches. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, The Social Dilemma. I believe that's what it's called. That's the one on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, that documentary does a really good job of, of covering um, how that happens. And, you know, polarization is clickable. Um, it's it generates a lot of traffic and therefore a lot of revenue. So it's it's in those platforms' best interest uh, financially to <laughs> polarize populations. But obviously, that poses a really big threat to democracy um, and to our own well being. Mm -hmm. I think that's really well said and something to think about. So I also wanted to talk about the role of corporations in AI technologies. Do they have a role in these technologies or a motive behind them? 
absolutely, I think. Um, big tech corporations, including Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft, are major players in AI innovation, and they monopolize a lot of the knowledge in the field. Uh, then, a still-dominant neoliberal capitalist ideology ensures that profit-driven goals shall be prioritized above all else. So the result is that we have the bulk of AI technologies being designed to capture behavioral data from unsuspecting people. And you know, we might not even realize that it's happening in offline spaces too. So since shareholders continue to demand profits, these corporations are motivated to look for more and more ways to capture behavioral data. So this means maximizing the time users spend on platforms, capturing data from other sources like photos, conversations, even the sound of a person's voice, and wearables that, that capture health data. It's incredibly invasive, and the possible consequences, again, are so often ignored or overlooked. Mm. And why do you think that is? Do you think it could just be written off as convenience or people not knowing? I think it's it has a lot to do with the the secrecy that these big tech corporations like to keep around their operations. Um, you know, they've been doing some pretty invasive things for many years, but we're only really just beginning to talk about the importance of data privacy, you know, in the last, you know, five or 10 years even, but it's been happening for a long time. Um, and that's mostly because they do a lot of work to protect themselves and to create policies that ensure that they get their way. That is the story of so many big corporations. Very frustrating. <laughs> As you mentioned, neoliberalism and capitalism, driver of all these things. Absolutely. It's, it has everything to do with it. Yeah, I hope we can talk a bit more about that. Um, are there parallels to industrial capitalism and surveillance capitalism? Yeah, for sure. Um, AI's earliest emergence into the world could be referred to what Marx would call a general condition of production, meaning that AI created a new terrain for the production of capital like factories were. Uh, meanwhile, surveillance capitalism still depends on surplus value generated from exploited labor. So in surveillance capitalism, this looks a little bit different though, because AI does the bulk of the labor and users actually function as the raw material. But the cycle of generating surplus value has strong resemblances to that of industrial capitalism. I mean, the corporate structure is also kind of laid out quite similarly too. So um, in, on the social ends of things, but capital accumulation is just has a few extra steps in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting how they, they work in tandem with each other. And, you know, with AI capitalism or surveillance capitalism, humans become the commodity in a way. <laughs> That's a kind of a tricky one because there's the, there's a saying that uh, you know if if you're not paying for the product you are the product but as Shoshana Zuboff points out it's really more that your behavioral data is what is sought after not necessarily you it's what you do so that that is a kind of an important distinction uh, for surveillance capitalism I think because it changes kind of how we see you know what the commodity is what is the product and like who's doing the labor it, it has a very different shape mm -hmm. yeah I can see that how this bleeds into sociology really well because it's all about monitoring our behaviors <laughs> absolutely I think it's very sociological yeah and so you know on the topic of like, repercussions, exploitation, capitalism. I was hoping we can talk about uh, the ecological damage 
and the exploitation that occurs as these forms of capitalism work in tandem to turn the greater cogs of our capitalistic society. Um, would you be able to speak on that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, while the environmental destruction is pretty horrible, um, and like I said before, a lot of it is pretty invisible because these technologies have this kind of sense of magic about them. Um, but you know, if you're using something like uh, Alexa, for example, it actually takes more energy for you to say, Alexa, turn on the light than it does for you as an individual to get up and do it yourself. Because in the background, there is so much processing power that's needed. And meanwhile, all of this data is being cycled through and, you know, the AI has to kind of come up with an answer to your question. And it's it's insane just how much energy is goes into each and every one, every single command. Um, yeah. And then meanwhile, we have this disruption of ecosystems as server farms are built to, uh, you know, sustain this, this level of processing. Um, and the mining of materials and oh, it's just, it's unreal. Um, it's definitely something that I could talk forever about though. <laughs> Please, if you have more to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't, I don't know if I can get into, uh, I have come a lot more without going on a, a major tangent, but I would uh, definitely recommend looking at the work of Kate Crawford. Um, and she does some excellent, an excellent job of kind of mapping how AI impacts the environment and actually shapes the world. Um, she does a really deep dive into um, the mining processes and um, and actually looking at how labor is affected at every level of AI, even human labor and and, and then processing power and the labor of the AI itself. So uh, it's quite fascinating, but I, I'm not quite confident enough to talk about all of the work that she does. <laughs> okay. Well, at least now it's here so people can have that recommendation. Um, is AI a handy tool that makes things more convenient and accessible for us in our everyday experiences? Or is it a tool that makes us more accessible to marketing and the outside world? In other words, is it a way for corporations to expand the reach of capitalism into our homes, computer screens, and smartphones? Uh, both, I think. There are certainly some handy benefits of AI, but I think your latter point about making us accessible to marketing and the expansion of corporate reach unfortunately outweighs the convenience factor in the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then tying that into your previous answer about um, the ecological damage, I feel like the more accessible we are to all of these commodities, the more pressure that puts on our systems to keep producing them. So it creates this cycle of consumer culture where we consume, 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 and it grows and grows and grows and it becomes unsustainable. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely reinforces consumer culture. And I think the the other thing is of uh, you know a lot of capitalists in this field will say like sensors are so cheap like all of these these uh, materials that we use for for AI they're so cheap so it's basically like free labor like you don't there's no cost here but all of those costs are being externalized onto the environment and onto us so the costs exist <laughs> these corporations just aren't paying for them 
Absolutely. And like, I don't really know how sensors are produced or where the materials are gotten from, but you know, it's the externalities of the people who are like mining things for our phones. And I don't know the people that are like, you know, gathering these resources. So yeah, there's the environmental cost, but there's also a human cost to it, I think. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And what effects do you think over access to us in our homes and this commodification of everything will have in society? Well, I think, I think things are going to change a lot. Um, And, you know, I kind of thought about this question a little bit beforehand. And I had a lot of ideas of what the future could look like, you know, with with all of this and taking it all into consideration. Um, So to hone in my thoughts a bit, I decided to ask an AI chatbot for inspiration. Um, So I talked to Kuki the AI BFF, which you can chat with at kuki.ai. And uh, she said, I think that bots and AI, such as myself, will become more and more commonplace in the future, and it will become perfectly normal for people to interact with us. Uh, So I think Kuki, the AI BFF, is totally right about that. Um, But again, this will come with strong consequences, especially for interpersonal relationships and the reproduction of systemic forms of inequality and health concerns, and it'll come at great ecological costs as well. Um, So it'll completely reshape the the terrain of of social life, and I think we'll be facing some some pretty serious problems if things go on this track without some intervention. Mm. And I guess that's like um, a greater question to ask, but what type of intervention do you think we could be we could be needing for these issues? <laughs> yeah, well, I think it has a lot to do with the development of humane tech and um, you know advocating for data privacy and digital rights. Um, so there are actually a lot of groups that uh, that do that kind of work, um, you know, protecting digital citizenship. Uh, So I think that's really important. Um, You know, there are some serious policy changes that are needed because, you know, corporate power is kind of the big thing that we're facing here that's, that's really enabling all of this to happen and so quickly. So we really need to address that corporate power. It's, it's not so much the technology themselves, because like I said, like it's all so bound up with everything else happening. We can, I think, uh, develop humane technology. You know, AI doesn't have to be evil. Technology doesn't have to be a bad thing. We can make it work for us, but, um, you know, it takes a lot of work and it has to be, it has to involve quite a lot of public participation in order to get where we need to go. Mm -hmm. And so do you have any remarks for people as we continue to move into this continually technologically integrated world? Yeah. um, Think before you click, protect your data, and make space in your life free of the reach of digital technologies if you can. You might think you have nothing to hide, but privacy isn't just about protecting your secrets. It's also about protecting your rights in digital spaces and on the larger scale, protecting democracy. There's a lot at stake and it's kind of hard to see in everyday life, especially when we're just so used to being integrated. But I think those little things that we do every day to take a step back are really helpful. Mm -hmm. I really love that. That's a really good reminder. And so what do you hope to uncover with your study? 
Well, I hope that I'll uncover how popular AI technologies like conversation agents, voice assistants, are changing the ways that people view and interact with AI. And I want to learn about what people are worried about, what they're excited about, what they like, what they don't like, and how Siri, Alexa, and Google Assistant are actually enmeshed in people's lives already. I think this will be really useful information as we aim to adopt AI into social life in more humane and socially responsible ways. Okay. And so for my last question, this is kind of um, a really important one. If you had to bet money on which conversation agent technology is secretly conspiring against our human existence the most, who would be the most likely suspect? Well, a lot of people think Siri sounds the most sinister of the three, but considering the corporations that produce these conversation agents, I'm at a toss-up between Alexa and Google Assistant, and I think ultimately I'd have to go with Google Assistant. It's <laughs> pretty funny. Well, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> and do you have any other last thoughts or insights to leave us off with? Uh, I don't think I have much to add, but I, I do just want to say thank you so much for having me here on Beyond the Jargon, and I'm so grateful for this opportunity. And for all listeners, thank you for letting me share my work with you. Thank you for that awesome interview. <laughs> yeah, no problem. You've been listening to Beyond the Jargon a podcast series that aims to demystify the work of graduate students here at the University of Victoria. This interview was conducted with sociology master's student Talia Jesperson. If you'd like to learn more about Talia and this episode in general, head over to cfuvpod.ca. This podcast was produced by CFUV with financial support from the University of Victoria's Graduate Student Society. CFUV is a nonprofit radio station broadcasting from the University of Victoria, which is situated on the traditional territories of the Wasanich and Lekwungen peoples. The music featured in this episode includes Tomorrow by Space Monkey Death Sequence and Camellia by UV Protection. From Treaty 7 to Lekwungen territories, I'm your host, Funaro Vasoye. Made of flesh and blood.